Hi guys, it's Annie McDonald, physio and strength and conditioning coach, and welcome to the Inform Performance Podcast. On today's show, we have Matt Howley, the Director of Performance at Real Salt Lake MLS team. In this episode with Matt, we'll be discussing conditioning, GPS data, player wellness, and much more. Today's episode of the Inform Performance Podcast has been sponsored by Vald Performance, makers of the Nordboard. The Nordboard has become the gold standard for assessing field-based hamstring strength. By combining advanced sensors, real-time data visualizations, and cloud analytics, the Nordboard helps practitioners to accurately measure, monitor, and train individuals' hamstring strength or imbalances. To learn more about the Nordboard, visit our sponsor, volperformance.com. You're listening to Informed Performance with me, Annie McDonald, and here is today's episode with Matt Howley. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for giving up some time and coming on, mate. Thanks, Andy. Uh, good to be here with you. Um, just to kick off, would you be able to kind of outline your background for the listeners, just in case some of them haven't heard of you? Uh, yep. So uh, I'm obviously from Australia. So I've been in the US for 10 years now. So I've been over here a while. Um, completed all my schooling, uh, graduate degree and undergraduate degree in Australia before moving over. So what brought me to the US was just opportunity, really. So uh, applied at a bunch of uh, collegiate internships uh, after having done quite a bit of interning and that kind of stuff at home and probably sent out emails or letters to a hundred different schools and then applied for about 25 internships online and was fortunate enough to to land a role at the University of Notre Dame and that sort of started my foray into the US. So um, was there uh, January to April of 2011 uh, just as a strength and conditioning intern just doing whatever was required in that role. So uh, varied helping a bunch of different teams on the Olympic side, so basketball, hockey, soccer teams, volleyball, softball, baseball, yeah, whichever team was in, uh, you were sort of working with. And we had uh, two weight rooms there at that time, and uh, there was me and another intern, and you'd sort of spend one week in one weight room, one week in the other weight room. So you get to uh, be around all the coaches, that kind of stuff, which was really good for me to learn a bunch of a bunch of different coaches, different philosophies, uh, different ages, all those kind of things, which definitely helped broaden my horizon uh, as it pertains to strength and conditioning. And like why I was in the internship, uh, I did a pretty good job within a couple of weeks. Um, the internship coordinator at the time, Elisa Angelis, who's now at Florida State, um, offered me or asked me to start programming for the distance and cross-country team. So I'd never worked with a team like that before. So that was very different for me, uh, having come from predominantly working with field-based team sports. So I started programming for for female uh, distance and cross-country runners. So so that was a challenge. Uh, And then coaching those um, basically as it was my team, even though I was an intern. So whenever they were in the gym, even if I was in another weight room, I'd obviously have to be there for those sessions. Uh, upon my internship uh, concluding, uh, a week after that, one of the coaches actually shot me a text and said, hey, I'm leaving. I hope they, they give, you a, uh, give you a ring for the job. I'd applied for another job while I was there, which was predominantly a track and field-based job, which I would have taken it, but obviously isn't my, where my heart is or my passion inherently. So, um, But then the other guy that resigned or took a job elsewhere uh, worked with soccer and a couple other sports, which obviously fitted my skill set pretty well. So... Um, Director of Strength and Conditioning, Tony Rilinski, uh, shot me an email. I was like, hey, can we catch up? And obviously had an inkling what it was going to be about. And he's essentially like, hey, don't know if you've heard, but Chris has resigned. We'd love to have you on board. So um, so that sort of opened up the opportunity around 
get becoming a full-time S&C coach at that point in time. So I took on the assistant S&C coach role there, uh, working with men's soccer, rowing, both golf teams uh, and women's tennis. So uh, a bunch of different sports, a bunch of different, different athletes. Uh, that then lasted for three years in that role. Um, just like working with those teams, helping out um, superior people in the department, all those kind of things. Why I was there, uh, obviously being an Aussie and the, the transition of sports science and sports science tech into the US happened around that 2011, 2012 time pretty heavily, I would say. Um, that's when Catapult game became pretty big over here and some other techs and they reached out to me um, and then I was able to help uh, implement those across a bunch of sports um, at University of Notre Dame. That then led to getting the role of Director of Sports Science there, um, which then transitioned me out of majority of my S&C responsibilities. I still looked after soccer um, for full strength conditioning aspects, but I was then more overseeing an initiative in a department. Um, and then from there, we grew that. Duncan French came on board, who was a great mentor to me and uh, someone that I really enjoyed working for. And then uh, towards the end of 2016, I was approached by Real Salt Lake in Major League Soccer to come out and join them as head of sports science and, and a performance coach. So I took up that opportunity and uh, completely different coming into a professional soccer team after being in the collegiate environment for a while. Um, some obviously some unique challenges that exist uh, in the professional world versus the collegiate world and vice versa. But I've taken up that role. And then in uh, June 2019, uh, my former boss, uh, Henry Ruggiero, he uh, decided to move on and go back to the collegiate environment and to the University of Utah, and then the club offered me the opportunity to take over as the director of performance, um, which is the role that I'm in today. Man, that's a that's a very cool background. And I was going to ask you if Dun- if you'd overlap with Duncan French. He was on the podcast in an earlier show, but you you stole the words out of my mouth by by confirming that. Um, yeah, no, me and Duncan, um, like it was really weird. Like when he came to visit Notre Dame, he was essentially. He may not agree with this, but the way it was interpreted by the staff was he essentially was interviewing us as much as us interviewing him. And, uh, like <laughs> it was, it was, a, it was an interesting situation for a lot of people. Um, having him come in like someone with, with his credentials and, but like he's was nothing but great for the department there and someone that, that I thoroughly enjoyed working with and working for. Like he really helped me develop, uh, my skill set and, and some of the things that I do. And I, and I still carry those with me today. No, brilliant. And one of the things I want to talk to you, we'll start talking to you about at least for this episode is uh, on-field conditioning, if I may. And if you'll humor my uh, sort of preferred order for this topic, can we can we maybe talk about how you assess the on-field conditioning piece of, of soccer or football, as I should say, being a, being a Brit? Yeah, so like the way we assess it, um, like we just do a, a standard six-minute run test to begin pre-season with the players. Like, We've toyed around doing yo-yo tests and a dirty 15s and all these other kind of tests, but we get a baseline on our guys at the start of preseason. We just do a six-minute run for distance, and that gives us like the basic understanding of, of where they're at and what they what they need to be able to participate in training, ultimately at the start of preseason, and then progress into matches. And we've found that gives us a, a pretty strong baseline on who's done work and who hasn't. And then as we get into season uh, or, or into like training and then in games on the week-to-week basis, like a lot of our our stuff, like we're using our, like our GPS technology 
um, to, to provide us with some insights on where players are at and then some other testing that we do with them just to understand exactly where they're at from a, like a physiological standpoint and, and how, how fit they are and, and how ready they are to perform. Like this fitness is one thing, but like the readiness to perform and repeat efforts and all those kind of things we, we deem as very important in soccer. Like it's not a, a linear game and that's something that, that I've, uh, I've definitely learned across my journey in the sport coming from more an AFL background. Than, than a soccer background or a football background for the people in the UK. Um, so for me, I've had to learn like some adjustments around those kind of things and the ability to repeat efforts and sustain efforts and what's required within those efforts from a, a running capacity standpoint is definitely uh, unique to the sport uh, in some respect or compared to some other sports out there. So for me, it's just using some of the metrics that we can get um, and understand what a player's baseline is over time and how we can help them progress and, and what's fit enough and, and what's going to help them perform and ultimately help the team gain success and ensure that we're physiologically ready to perform each week uh, uh, on the field. You mentioned obviously GPS there, mate, and uh, you know every, I think everybody listening should and hopefully will know at least the basics of what GPS can tell you, but um, what do you find you need to kind of layer on to get more value out of the GPS in its kind of application? Um, you know, what, what allows you to hang your hat on that data more reliably and make um, cleaner and quicker decisions? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is like the the consistency and the reliability around the data uh, is so important. I think a lot of people, especially when they get into it or if they're, if they're not all that in tune with the data, uh, will just sort of like look at things at face value and, and trust everything it says. And and that's something that for me over time I've, I've gathered information and, and understanding around different things, spoken to a bunch of different professionals that, that use the, the technology and the data in de- more in depth and, and maybe better than what, what we do. But like just understanding the quality uh, of the data is very important. And then if you can get quality and consistency in your data, um, then you can become more trusting of it is, is what I've found across the journey of about 10 or 11 years using the technology. So for me, it's like just that consistency, reliability. What that then gives us is the ability to understand exactly an athlete's output or like how hard they're working or the consistency around those things. And then once we understand that, um, we're then able to like progress them and ask them to do more within a training session or we can then change the periodization model or, or how we're going to handle different things within respect to the coaches. And then the, the other thing with that is is like how, how are we going to communicate that data with the coaches and how can we have a relationship with them to, to help like – them achieve their technical tactical goals, but ensure that we are getting what we need from a physiological standpoint out of a training session. And that's something that, that I feel like we've, we do pretty well. And we, we've definitely grown in that area across the five years I've been at the club. And then also, um, back in, uh, back in the collegiate environment is like the planning aspect and just ensuring that we're, we're hitting the certain markers and variables that we have set across a training session or, or a microcycle or a macrocycle, whatever we have planned out, just to ensure that we have the athlete in the best position to perform and, and hopefully have done enough work uh, within certain frameworks to mitigate injury risk. Because obviously we know there's a bunch of research out there that, that states hitting certain speeds and uh, percentages and velocities and these kind of things can help give us some insight uh, to those things. And then something that, that we've been working towards or we're working towards right now is um, – 
is with uh, Jason Weber and some of the stuff that he's doing uh, for his PhD, just assessing like uh, like an athlete's running mechanics and uh, those kind of things, and then how they inference some uh, like basically inference or potentially relate to injury uh, and injury risk and some of these kind of things. Um, so like we're we're just at like the start or about to start collecting some data in that space. So I've had a couple of in depth conversations with him uh, and Maddie Pell from Catapult about that kind of stuff, and um, yeah. It's been definitely enlightening to to be able to like understand like the way like the like a GPS unit can potentially provide us with some more insights to how our athletes are moving and 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 that kind of stuff um, on the field rather than just doing like all this testing off the field or, or eyeballing it from from some of the other more global metrics which which exist from the software on a day to day basis. Yeah, and obviously the the use of a GPS in your sport is now you know very widespread and understood but what do you find are like maybe the bigger gray areas for you is there kind of uh, spaces within the tech or or your need for answers that or questions that you feel are unanswered currently that you just find you can't hang your hat on as reliably yeah like I it's real funny like when I say to people like when you start you start with a couple of metrics and then you like inherently anything you're like oh let's let's dig deeper into this stuff there's got to be something more there and I felt like we did that um, more when I was in the collegiate environment and then probably initially when I when I arrived at Rio Salt Lake and then um, more recently probably the last three or four years now like it's sort of coming back full circle where you're sort of really tailoring it back in and only I don't say only using seven eight nine ten metrics somewhere in that range but generally that's the the amount of like day-to-day data variables that we're that we're using and then in a rehab setting or some other settings we may dig into some some metrics a little bit more but like it's not like you're going super deep with every athlete every day like we're understanding like what we know about our guys within certain frameworks really well um and then then if we need to dig into a metric, we will. And then that's what we're doing with some of this, uh, some of this running mechanics uh, kind of work with Jason is hoping to understand some of our players better, what they do, uh, how they move, and then how that's potentially related to like some inhibition or some fatigue and all that kind of stuff. So to me, it's like starting to now layer on some things which have some some really scientific uh, valid research behind them uh, on top of the, the day-to-day GPS monitoring that we do. Um, and that's sort of the path that, that we're going to look to take things. Yeah. So you, you know, you've obviously, you mentioned earlier, you, you collect your information on kind of where the player's at and maybe get some identification of whether you think they've uh, been doing the work away from you or not. How, you know, maybe, you know, through preseason versus through the actual season itself, how do you kind of build in conditioning work? Yeah, we don't do a ton of like pure conditioning work. Like we've always had a squad and generally players that came back reasonably healthy. Um, so, or when I say healthy, like healthy and fit. Uh, and we haven't had to do a lot of that stuff. So, so we've sort of been lucky. Um, like generally during the preseason, like there's, there may be the odd day that we need a little bit of extra aerobic or some base work that, that we'll need to add in. But generally for us, the biggest focus is around um, the intensity aspect and, and those kind of things. So, so for us, it's making sure that we're, we're sprinting enough um, and these kind of things and like high speed running, um, like somewhat of a buzz term that, that, that a lot of people still use. But for us, it's really around speed. Um, and then the thing we've really started layering in the, probably the last 12 to 18 months is really accelerations decelerations and that kind of stuff like more focusing on some of those real neural aspects of the sport um 
and having like the players like become more technically efficient in accelerating, decelerating, running mechanics, running at max speed and these kind of things, like those things are, we believe as a staff are important and, and can definitely help um, maybe not mitigate risk on an injury, but can definitely help from a performance aspect. Like we've seen across well, my time at the club, we've seen players get faster and we're talking about guys that are on the other side of 30. So they probably should be slowing down uh, in a lot of people's minds at, at that point. And we've seen guys year upon year get faster. And, and that's something that, that we really have got a bit of a culture around now is like is running fast. And like when we started having guys sprint and run fast regularly, there was, oh, I'm going to tear a hamstring, I'm going to tear a calf. All, all those um, things were popping up. And it took a while to get guys to buy into like, Running fast is good. It's also fun. It makes it super competitive, um, and like it's it's good to have the, the the like the token that hey, I'm the fast guy. And if you're the slow guy, you don't want to be the slow guy anymore. So we found even in a professional setting that that that's something that the players really buy into is is running fast, and we've seen that translate into some game performance and, and those kind of things. And then it's been real interesting to see how with certain athletes in certain positions as they've grown, developed, gotten stronger, all that kind of stuff, become faster and more explosive, how that's then interned or intern has impacted their, their match outputs and these kind of things and how a guy that would put in two or 300 metres of sprint distance in a game um, is now putting in four or 500 and he's, he's playing in the same position. It might be like a winger or an outside back. Like he's putting 500 metres of sprint distance in on a regular basis in a game and then and then as he's doing that, he's obviously got great physical outputs, but it's obviously important that he's playing well uh, and that kind of stuff. And, and we've definitely seen with the improvements in physical output has probably given our coaches um, more to play with in some respect on the field, whether that be in training or in games. And like we're, we're then over time have been able to build our training loads up and given our coaches more technical, tactical time with the players on the field. Uh, and then ultimately, like, by playing the sport more and becoming more efficient at skills and that kind of stuff, the players improve, the team improves. So so we've probably seen across a period of time that, that that's, that's all culminated from a physical standpoint to them progressing a more through the technical, tactical. And it's, it's in turn with some players definitely improved their sport performance. Yeah, I completely agree with what you said at the start of that as well about um, – Obviously, you need to do a certain amount of high-speed running, and we focus on that more from, a, I think, from a physio perspective and preparing a tissue for risk mitigation. But, I mean, I had a conversation with an American uh, college football player earlier and who, who was worried about uh, a knee injury and his top speed being, being affected in the long term. And, you know, we, we kind of had to tease out, you know, actually, was the top speed what mattered to him or was his acceleration ability actually the thing that gave him the greatest uh, technical and tactical uh, advantage on the field so um no I completely agree with how you know where you went with that how in, in terms of like developing acceleration with players how much of that is kind of um drill and game-based exposure for you versus you know looking at sprint mechanics you were, you were sort of going fairly biomechanical earlier in maybe your approach how how do you sort of develop it essentially so if we've got an athlete in rehab, um, that's definitely a time that we can definitely spend a lot of time on it. Um, and then the, like we don't, aren't filming guys day to day, week to week, that kind of stuff and, and looking at those things. Like a lot of our stuff where, where we're accomplishing it is, is in training drills. And then 
through our warm-ups and that kind of stuff, like our uh, head strength and conditioning coach, Ryan Cotter, um, is very big into that kind of stuff and does a great job with, with sprint and speed mechanics and, and those kind of things. So that's something that he's definitely brought to our staff um, is around that kind of stuff. And we like a lot of uh, like plyometric base base work, sprinting mechanic, um, like or acceleration mechanic kind of stuff and, and doing them in warm-ups. Like, so we may only be doing them at like at somewhat of a sub-maximal intensity or towards the end of a warm-up at a faster intensity, but like probably two to three days a week there is a focus on on the physical training within the warm-up. It's not like we just go out there and we just do a general dynamic warm-up and then we're into stuff like or like it's a general dynamic end or end of passing. Like like we still have that physical aspect in in the warm-up. So that's where we really get a lot of our stuff from. And then in the off season and, and that kind of stuff, like we can obviously layer a lot more of those things in when when it's more just a physical focus on the on training. Um, and then we also like with that kind of stuff can can layer things in as I said through a rehab before. So as we've got guys coming back through a rehab process, like we can really get in through our running mechanic work, whether it's A, a drills and, and then B drills and that kind of stuff from every running mechanic standpoint, and then start getting them through, especially if it's a lower body injury or like hamstring calf like all those kind of things like as we're starting to build them up in in running speed and like we'll do different acceleration based starts and some ways that we go about that kind of stuff just because um like we found that that teaching the players in in those one-on-one environments has helped develop some buy-in as well um has been pretty big for us and then you also have the athlete that that is just super interested in in that kind of stuff and is, is super bored into it and they just want to do either extra work or some or some stuff on the side and then you can ultimately just start to really layer those things into into their program. Yeah, and I mean, like you know, we were talking about GPS and I think it, it makes complete sense why and how people use GPS to look at uh, running speed as like a load uh, load exposure, say for the hamstrings or, or for high speed running injuries injuries that could occur from running at least. But it sounds like maybe you're kind of uh, achieving something similar, but maybe more from like a technical and micro dosing sort of model. Is that is that a fair comment? Uh, sort of. Um, like we still do sprint every week. Uh, we're still sprinting once or twice a week, like maximally. Um, guys that aren't in the starting lineup are still um, are, are definitely doing it twice. Um, guys that are in the starting lineup, it might be once under a training setting circumstance and then the other the other occasions ideally during a game depending on position um so yeah like like for us it's probably a, a double-edged approach on that kind of stuff like a lot of people like it's like the whole nordic debate like you have to do nordics how many do you have to do all this kind of stuff like to me like it's just another layer of the program that that we have like yeah we we put nordics in our program we have them in our program but like we're not following like any of the the literature out there saying you've got to progress over this many repetitions and this many sets across a given amount of weeks. Like we just have them in there because um, like within the, the constraints of our strength program um, with how they fit. So if we're, if we're in a like more of a loading based phase in the gym, like we'll probably add a little bit more like from those, from a, from a Nordic based perspective in there. But if we're in a, in a lower phase in the gym, we're not going to then ask a, a, an athlete to go out and do three by six that, that week. It might be literally like a one by two just to gain the exposure um, to the exercise. So, so for us, like I would say like we're more, we're more focused on trying to add different aspects to the training program in, but making sure the aspects we, we add in, we're really consistent with and we do them really well so yeah the the technique aspect and and having 
the the constraints and the and the construction of our warm-ups being like very developed over time and very progressive is something that that I think we do really well, but then we also um, using the GPS and using some other technologies are just making sure we're getting like those maximal 90% uh, speed exposures on a regular basis. And, and those are like the races or the competitions we have between our guys um, that on a, on a weekly basis for us, it generally happens on a Tuesday or Thursday, depending on the given week. Um, and then like, we will really like have the guys get after in those things. And depending on the week and the load and the phase of training we're in and that kind of stuff, sometimes it's, it's one repetition. Sometimes we're, we're working out three, four, five um, within a session. Even during the season, we'll, we'll, we'll get up to that many reps on, on certain weeks. So for us, it's all about just taking into the, like, the constructs of the season um, and the, the training plan that we have in place. And, and obviously, so many things are adjusted on the fly uh, week to week with that kind of stuff. But we still have our, our tentative global plan and then based around what the coaches are trying to achieve and what the drills are that they're looking to implement and how much like work we're going to get out of those, then, then we can adjust how much like sprinting and other kind of things we're looking to get get in. And then the biggest thing for us that, that, that I start to really layer into those kind of things is around um, like who we're playing and who we have played, what the exposure in that game was, what the exposure in the next game based on averages and their game style is going to be. And then that will dictate how much of, of certain things we'll do across a week as well. Yeah, it sounds like there's no kind of, uh, you know, not surprising, there's no hard and fast or absolute, like this is how we do it all the time. It's, it's very, it has to be very flexible around what, you, what you've got coming up or what adaptation you're seeking. Yeah, for sure. Like that, that's the biggest thing for us is like the flexibility, but like we still have a, a philosophy and a structure that we strict, that we stick to. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just trying to make sure that, that we stay within the realms of, of what we're trying to achieve. And, and ultimately like the players are fit and healthy and, and everyone's available to, for the coaches on the weekend. Yeah. And, uh, you, you very briefly mentioned rehab earlier. Um, how, how do you kind of personally get involved in, uh, in rehab at your place? Are you, are you kind of hands on or, in the sort of strategy of uh, the return to play process for players? So, yeah, so my role is still very hands-on um, in some respect. We've uh, one of the smallest clubs within MLS, so our staff is not huge. Um, like last year, uh, 2020 uh, season, like we had uh, added a, a, like a third athletic trainer slash physical therapist. So we had like three people on that side, massage therapists, and then it was just uh, myself um, and Ryan on the on the S&C or performance side, along with our, um, our performance nutritionist. And then this year, uh, we've been fortunate enough to add a uh, an additional person on the SNC side, so we've now been able to like bring on like a, a second SNC coach, which has enabled or enables me to to more like to to branch out and, and oversee things a little bit more. Like I still um, am very hands on around like the GPS because that essentially just goes hand in hand with training load monitoring and planning uh, in my opinion so so that goes very very well um, together and then uh, with the with the two SNC coaches like Ryan obviously being our head SNC coach he essentially is looking after like the group or the group globally um, it, within some respect as it became, pertains to gym work uh, all that kind of stuff and then uh, warm ups and those kind of things and then uh, Tim Green, who we've brought on board, um, essentially sits over like our development and our rehab guys. So, um, so if someone's in rehab, they will then filter through Tim. So, um, so the the process is now depending on their length of injury and what their injury is and these kind of things will dictate 
how they're filtered through the, the medical side of things and, and which maybe clinician over there will work with them. Like it's a shorter-term injury, it might be more our assistant athletic trainer that will take them and then him and Tim sort of pair up on, on that kind of stuff and then they, they bring him back and then once we get to late-stage rehab on the field have or later-stage rehab where we're on the field and the ball starts to incorporate, like Ryan starts to take more of a, a lead on that kind of stuff, that's sort of his strong suit Um around doing technical drills for positional-based technical drills and those kind of things. So you then have athletic trainer working on the medical side. We have rehab S&C, which is sort of managing the situation from a performance side and and we'll handle their gym work, their conditioning and that kind of stuff. And then uh, Ryan filters in on the uh, on the technical side at the end. And and previously, before we brought in that um, the rehab S&C kind of role, like I was doing that rehab aspect in the in the gym and or helping with that, like that was sort of tag team uh, between me and Ryan. And then from there, all the conditioning stuff previously fell onto me. So we're so we're now um, now I'm able to sit back and take a little bit more of a global view of that kind of stuff. And then with the conditioning of the team and that kind of stuff, sort of again goes hand in hand with with load monitoring and and the management of the squad. So. I essentially like will take on board that, but as it gets into the rehab, um, like myself and then our director of sports med, Darren ends of like pretty much, I don't want to say hands off in that kind of stuff, but uh, like the, the other guys in the department are, are very adept and, and good clinicians and, and have very good skill sets and are able to, to handle, um, all that kind of stuff for sure. Yeah. And you know, a lot of our conversation today maybe is discussed more kind of external loading based, uh, uh metrics or tools. Um, how do you kind of couple that with a uh, player wellness and more of the internal uh, metrics for players? Yeah, wellness is a real interesting one to me. Like I've found the longer like I've been in the professional setting and, and that kind of stuff is like the reliability and, and the player's willingness to, to comply with it and do and do the when I say do the right thing, it's probably not the right way to say it, but like to, to give like quality information and actually tell tell you how you are through a wellness questionnaire just hasn't really worked for us um so for us like so much of that um in my perspective is around conversations with the athletes like our staff has across the board has like very good relationships with our playing group and what that then enables us to do is like so much of the information we gain from players is from morning conversations when they walk into the building if someone's in the locker room you just go in you can sit down have a chat to them that kind of stuff it's a very sort of open environment around those kind of things and and we glean a lot of that information from the players either having a conversation with them or the player being comfortable to come into us in the morning and and say hey this doesn't feel right or or i need some need some work on this and then we can ultimately make a decision or, or do an assessment make a decision around how much they train whether they train like all that kind of stuff at that point in time got you so it's actually a lot less data centric in that regard it's, it's it's much more relationship driven yeah yeah we yeah we found in our environment and and i, I guess in soccer or at least in soccer in, in the u.s anyway like it's a it's pretty multicultural like within some respects like we have probably 10 or 11 um South American or Central American uh, based players on our squad that obviously first language is Spanish. So you've obviously got the the communication aspect or the, or the language aspect, which plays a role. And we've got two or three guys from Europe as well um, that obviously uh, English, like they speak very good English, but it's not their ultimate first language and that kind of stuff. They're essentially bilingual, but, um, but that kind of stuff makes it easier. So the relationship aspect we found works better in our environment, uh, it also then enables us to 
to get buy-in in other aspects of the program because you have that personal relationship with the athlete. Like we've definitely found, like whether it's getting guys into the gym, uh, whether it's been getting guys to buy into running fast and that kind of stuff. But because you've got the that relationship and it's not a pen and paper, uh, this is my number or this is my number in the, in the phone on the app and, and that is what it is. Like we found that personal relationship aspect to it all. He's probably filtered through other aspects of our program and helped us get the buy-in that we need from maybe some of the some of the bigger rocks or the things that can maybe be a little bit more influential on performance than than someone's like wellness overnight um, or like just giving a soreness rating, which we're probably getting that information out of them anyway through the conversational piece that, that we have with most of them. So that's sort of the approach that, that we've taken for, for quite a while. Like we did wellness here the first year and then we've tried it or, or, our, or laid it back out through pre-seasons the next two years and then just found that it, like, it just didn't work. Like, and as we know, like certain things won't work in certain environments and that's one thing that we found hasn't worked here. Um, so so we, we've just sort of let that one go and then just have focused our attention in other areas to help the players. I feel like a, a, a list, at least one listener out there will probably be wondering how do you gauge the response of uh, trainings or games if you don't, you know, maybe objectively collect it. Have you? But it, but in actual fact, have you found that there, it's it's made anything more challenging f- for you in terms of planning or uh, knowing what to expect from certain drills or sessions? No, not really. Like we like we've got like pretty strong compliance uh, with GPS in games uh, now, and then obviously with. Uh, with camera-based systems like the MLS has a deal with second spectrum. So we're, we're gathering all the physical data um, from every session, every game. Uh, we'll still collect RPEs from the players and like we, we've got like that's another contentious uh, one out there that some people say they don't work, other people say they do. Like that's something that we still collect. But again, like how much credence are we putting into that? Um, it, it varies from player to player. There's probably – six or seven players immediately on our roster that are like, I can scroll down and like, I know we're getting a pretty, when you say genuine response, like that's actually how it was today. It's not like there's, there's no fluff on top of what they're tr- kind of giving you. So for me, I've definitely um, like, we'll look at their responses and then there's other guys that like, I will look at their responses on a certain day, but like, yeah, we like it, it's, it's become a little bit more, like we've definitely got objective data, but like we've probably taken more less of the subjective data from what we're collecting now. We have our objective data, and then we have our our personal data, if that's what you want to call it, um, within that space. And it's sort of them bringing those two pieces of information together, um, like through those things, and and not having a ton of the the subjective data that we're using. Like last year, we we started or we had a couple of players trialing aura rings and that kind of stuff and we're doing a little bit of sleep tracking and and that kind of stuff and and for us like again like it's objective data but to get them to change their habits around sleep it then becomes a conversation so for us like like that's the way we really approach our our probably a lot of the stuff that we do here and it's just inherently gone that way through um through understanding the environment and the way things work within our clubs so like that's something that we're hoping to to get uh, more exposure to that kind of tech and and just more about helping players make better decisions and changing lifestyle habits and those kind of things is is a big thing for us. Um, so 
like like that all stems even from the nutrition and the way our performance nutritionist handles all that kind of stuff and we do that kind of stuff it's like like they'll, they'll take a food log and and those kind of things potentially for her but then it becomes a real personal aspect of like she works them one-on-one and on um, what do we need to add into your thing like you're missing abc and they're like well i don't really want to take this out this is a staple of my weekly diet it may be a cultural thing whatever they're whatever it is and it may not necessarily be a bad thing that that they're eating but it's just like how do we how do we eat things in moderation how do we adjust an athlete's diet nutritional plan just ensure that we got that we're getting them to the right level of body composition or um they're fueled so they're able to perform whether that be in training or in game and, and all that kind of stuff so we found that like that personal aspect as well as tying some some objective data which is essentially both ends of the spectrum and sort of taking that subjective piece out in, in the middle is sort of the approach that we have yeah, nice. I mean, it sounds like a very refreshing uh, approach, actually, encouraging the players to be a bit more accountable themselves rather than relying on questionnaires and apps to prompt conversations that you're already having. It, sound, it sounds like you actually uh, bring in a lot of education uh, for, the, for the better. Yeah, and that's probably something our coaches stress as well, our coaching staff, is just like player accountability and, and, all, and all those things. Like, it's like, okay, like you can take the duck to water, but you can't make it drink kind of thing. So they're like, like, we're here to help them, like the, the situation set up to help them and all those kind of things. It's now that they have a little bit of ownership on their, on themselves, like they're a professional athlete. If they want to excel and, and make a huge career out of this, um, like they need to take some ownership in that. So I'd say that's sort of that philosophy sort of being club wide sort of filters down into the way we approach stuff. And I guess that's sort of somewhat how it all ties back together. Yeah. To, to kind of put you on the spot, you know, obviously, um, your approach by the sounds of it can work with uh, definitely the, maybe the player numbers that you've got. If you were hypothetically to go to um, a, a, a sport like say American football, where you've got much bigger player numbers uh, and obviously this is going to depend on the environment or the culture, but say you are going to have to start leaning more on some systems to be able to just get that information in, uh, you know, you're not necessarily going to get around the room conversationally. Is there anything maybe wellness wise that you've come across in your, in your, in, the longer duration of your career that you would lean on more if you couldn't get to those conversations? Yeah, like, like we like we've implemented wellness elsewhere, like even the collegiate environment where you think it's potentially a really tough uh, a tough thing for, for athletes to do. And we had some really good success with it. And then uh, like like we can implement some some counter movement jumps or some neurovascular fatigue testing and and then obviously you got like things like physio screenings and some medical screenings and that kind of stuff, which you can implement to, to gain some more information. So I think like getting some more of those kind of things implemented, uh, is, it, it can definitely provide some value to, to the situation. And, and a lot of it comes down to like staffing resources, all those kind of things. And like that's something that definitely here now that like, I don't want to say that we had an inadequate staff before, but now we've definitely got adequate staffing across the board, like getting some, some real good quality medical screenings in on a, on a weekly or a bi-weekly basis or even if it's like weekly for the starters and then other players it might be on a less frequent basis and those kind of things. I like, like having some of that information coming in um, regularly um, would definitely help like develop systems in that area, understanding soreness, fatigue, all, all those kind of things um, from that aspect. And like, like we're still doing some of that stuff right now. Like like we, we've got our force frame um, and – 
and we've obviously do, like have guys on the Nord board. We have our force decks as well that we've got guys doing counter movement jumps and other and other tests, um, isometric mid dive pull, all that kind of stuff on there. So so we are definitely like collecting information and profiling guys over time and and that kind of stuff. But I think the biggest step for me um, or in our department moving forward is is in that process system, and then it's like getting some of these things structured um it's more more around like medical screening getting some hands on some athletes on a regular basis um in those kind of things which we just haven't had uh the staffing until last year and then obviously last year we covered um it's it was obviously very unique and then um like staff getting furloughed and all that kind of stuff and then you finally get back to a full staff and then there's only like eight weeks and like 14 games left and, and those kind of things, which which made it very unique. And then this year, it's obviously just preseason right now. So it's like now just starting to try and implement some of those strategies and plans um, here. Um, and then if I was moving on elsewhere, like that's the way that I would definitely like look to approach some of, some of those things is like depending on staffing structure, like how many people, how many qualified professionals can implement certain things within certain spaces but if you do have those kind of things there like you can definitely implement like like medical screenings whether it's like you've got interns helping to run them all those kind of things a certain test that that they're obviously adept to helping run whether it's like a needle wall test or some other things and then if you're doing like some true physio screenings on the table to assess internal external rotation of the hip whatever it may be all that kind of stuff like we definitely have the ability to do that it's now just getting it structured and having a, a formalized process around that and then the biggest thing for us is is like our players over time here have have been like if they see that the data is being collected and not being used that's when they might turn their nose up and be like oh well, this this is stupid like we, we shouldn't be doing this is like you just collect it and not using it so our biggest thing or like one of the things that I have in my philosophical approach is like if we're going to collect data, there needs to be action and uh, an assessment on that data. Like we just can't collect it, store it, and not worry about it. So that's the biggest thing. And then like if, if you have that, coming back to the relationship piece with the players, like if you're collecting it and you're using it and you're actioning it, the players are then more likely to do it um, and buy into, the, buy into what you're asking them to do. Where if you're just collecting it and storing it and they go, well, like, yeah, I'm sore and I did this test and nothing came of it, like then they they sometimes become a little bit apprehensive around around why we're doing what we're doing and then is it actually helping them to improve or is it actually being implemented for the right reasons? So that's probably the big philosophical approach that we have around those things. I feel like as well, like you, you know, even if you do action it and, you know, they may or may not notice that you actioned it off the back of the the, the data you collected, but you've, you've got to bring it back conversation as well, just to close that loop. hundred um, percent. Yeah. Like if you don't bring it back and you don't close the loop with them or they don't understand um, that you've had the conversation that's been actioned. And then you also at the other side of the coin, which you, you've got to be wary of is sometimes like it's the whole thing of like, oh, it's, who's it going to get to? Who's who's going to see the information and those kind of things and just making sure that, that the athletes trust um, and is always there. Yeah, for sure. Matt, I really, uh, I really thank you for your your transparency today and, and and your time as well. Where's the where's the best place for people to follow you? I'm just a little bit aware of time. Uh, yeah, probably Twitter. Um, I used to be way more active posting and stuff. Probably a little bit less now. I just think it's at Matt Howley. Um, and then my Instagram is like is another place that's probably a little bit more social for me. A little bit like less about work kind of stuff but yeah probably uh probably uh twitter is probably the best place to get hold of me um like people direct message or if they shoot an email through um yeah more than happy to to correspond with people or and that kind of stuff by email or 
or over the phone, whatever works for people. Brilliant. We'll link into that. And yeah, thanks again, mate. It's been, uh, it's been great to chat to you. No problem, Andy. Thanks very much. A big thanks to Matt Howley for coming on today's show and being so truly transparent with everything he discussed with us. But also a big thanks to Jesse Green, who has hooked us up with both last week's guest, Sean Smith, but also Matt for this episode. If you, the listeners, have guests that you'd like on the show, then don't hesitate to send us a message on either Instagram or Twitter to tell us who you'd recommend or like. You can find us at Performance on Instagram or at InformPod for Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Catch us next week for more performance and sports medicine insights.